Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. Through this podcast, we hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus and in living and loving like Him. The practice that will propel us into the year ahead is not another strategic plan, but intentional prayer. In this season of hurry and hustle, it is essential to slow down in order to hear from God. Let's leverage the last few weekends of 2019 to speak to God, seek His face, and wait on His reply. As we echo the prayer in Scripture, we can better hear His voice and follow His will. Well, good evening, church. Good evening to the rest of y'all that refuse to talk to me. Good evening, church. Hey, it's Monday. You ain't supposed to have church on Monday, but we do. Come on, somebody. Hey, um, I know it's weird in here. I know. And like some of y'all, y'all weren't here last weekend. We're traveling for Thanksgiving. Like, you moved my pew. And we ain't even got pews. But we are creatures of habit. Like, I might not know you very well or know your name, but I know when you're here and when you're not because you sit in the same place every time. Because even in our church, you know, it, we, we, we just are creatures of habit. And the problem with that is things that become habitual kind of like we tend to just kind of coast through them. Especially church. So those of us who church has become the routine for us. It's like we get up in the morning and we don't, on Sundays or Mondays, and we don't even have to really think about it. We just naturally go to church. It's like our car just automatically takes there. You ever done that? You ever like left work and gone home and like all of a sudden you're home? How'd I get here? Because your brain is just on autopilot. Y'all do that to church. Y'all come here and leave here. I'm like, we went to church. And that's not a good thing. I know routine is good and ritual is good, but sometimes we can just get such in the habit of it that we just cruise through it and we miss what God has for us. And that's especially true in seasons like this. Like Christmas, is, it can become so routine and so rhythmic and so ritualistic that like it's just so, I said, I've said last week that the things that are familiar tend to lose their wonder. Because they're just so familiar that we forget how powerful they are. And Christmas is especially one of those seasons. And we can just coast through Christmas like it's not a big deal. Or we're just, some of us, we're just trying to get it over with because we're so sick of how commercial it's become that we just want to get through it. But this event is too important for us just to drive right through like it doesn't matter. Because Christmas and Easter are the two most significant events in all of human history. They are the two most significant events in all of human history. And Christmas is too important. It's too wonderful. It's too beautiful and powerful for us just to move through it like it's not, like it doesn't matter. And so, like, we intentionally try to mix it up this season. Because for the church, like, the two hardest times of the year are Christmas and Easter. Because y'all have heard them passages a thousand times. Even if you didn't go to church, you know about baby Jesus in the manger. And you know about the cross and the empty tomb. Like, we know about all this kind of stuff. But, but those things, they may be simple and they be, may be familiar, but they are the most powerful things that humanity has ever been fortunate enough to witness. And so, literally, we're trying to get us to shift our focus. That's why we, we shifted these chairs around and brought this runway out here. I don't know if I'm supposed to preach or land a plane or model a dress. I don't know what's happening right now. 
But we literally, did I say model address? Okay. It's Monday. You never know what I'm going to say. But literally, we want to shift our focus, shift our attention. And we've had people say, well, I don't know where to look when we're singing. Up. Because it's all about what's happening in here, not what's happening up there. And just for a season, let's just worship God for the beauty and wonder that is Christmas. And moving toward this series, I read that, that familiar Christmas passage that all of us read. Those accounts in Matthew and Luke, because you know Mark and John open their Gospels in very different ways. And the reality is that when, when God comes forth through the angels to announce the birth of his son, he broke hundreds of years of silence. For years, God had gone quiet. That, that he had said nothing. Yeah, all throughout the Old Testament, we have the prophets who speak all these things about what was to come, but silence had taken over. And in that silence, hope began to fade. And then all of a sudden, God breaks his silence. And this time, it would not be through a prophet to a crowd. It would be through an angel to a teenage girl. And Gabriel shows up, and his audience is this young woman named Mary. And he makes this declaration that what he said was about to come to pass. And the last sentence that Gabriel says to Mary is one that I haven't been able to shake for the last several weeks. After he says, Mary, you've been highly found highly favored and, and the Holy Spirit's going to come on you and you're going to become pregnant and this son that you're going to give birth to is not just any son, it's the son of God. You're to call him Jesus. And the very last thing that the angel Gabriel says to Mary for no word from God will ever fail. For no word from God will ever fail. For no word, not a single thing that God has ever said will he not do. And it just hit me that Christmas is the greatest reminder that God keeps his promises. Christmas is the greatest reminder that God keeps his promises promises that the moment sin entered the world God promised he would fix it the moment sin broke what God desired for us in his heart although it was Eve's sin that broke it it would be Mary's son that would fix it and God made us that promise and this announcement of this angel to this young girl is just once again God keeping his promise because that's who he is our God is a promise maker our God is a promise keeper. There's not a single time that God has said he was going to do something and it didn't happen. And I, I, that's why there's so much wonder and beauty and hope in this season. That's why you can believe because you serve a God that if he said it, you'll see it. If you said it, if he said it, you will see it. If he said it, you will see it. And I know like, it's almost like we've gotten afraid as people of faith to talk about that. We shy away from the reality that God is a promise keeper. And I said last week, maybe that's because we, we say promise and people start thinking prosperity and we've tried to distance ourselves from the prosperity gospel and all that we can. But I'm sorry, we can't get away from the fact that from Genesis to Revelation, time and time and time and time again, God promised powerful things to very ordinary people. And every time he did it, it came true. 
And I just happen to think I serve the same God. I like this. I'm close to y'all. I hear people say, well, you're not David and you're not Moses. No, but I'm Matt and I serve the same God they did. Or maybe, again, like I said last week, the, the issue is the problem is the distance between promise and payoff is much further than we would like. Like, like we expect the moment God makes us a promise, that the moment we're in a position of promise, that we're supposed to be immediately able to step into the payoff on it. Like as soon as God says, this is what's going to happen, this is what I'm going to do, and here's what you can expect, then boom. But say amen if you're on a journey. And that you know, based on your experience, and because you've studied the word of God, that the distance between promise and payoff is much longer than we would like. And the problem is, in distance we get distracted. That's a long time to lose sight, to lose faith. Again, that's, that's exactly what happened to the nation of Israel. The very people that should have been able to immediately recognize Jesus for who he was missed it. They had studied the prophets their whole lives. They had grown up in that tradition. There, there are hundreds of prophecies that God gave us, clues, hints, littered all throughout time where Jesus would be clearly able to be seen. Everything to where he would be born and how it would all take pass, like it's all in the Old Testament. And Jesus checks every box. Do you know how mind-blowing the probability of that really is? You don't because you'd get more excited than you just did. Jesus checks every box, but the very people that should have been able to see it missed it. Why? Because it had been thousands of years. And in distance, we get distracted and we start, the, the image of who he's supposed to be gets distorted in that distraction. And sometimes God pays off on the promise and we're mad at him because he didn't pay off when he already did pay off, but we missed it because we got distracted because the distance was too long and we let ourselves drift. And we've decided we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. That God owes us nothing, but he's promised us many things. Amen? And we're going to have the faith to live in the fullness of those promises. And to do that, I told you there's, there's two things that God's been calling me to do to make sure I experience the fullness of his promise. Intentional prayer and unwavering obedience. Like, if you're going to live in the fullness of God's promises, those two things have got to be necessary. Like, if you're going to, because see, that space between payoff and promise is what I call the, the meantime. The meantime. Again, say, you been, ever been in a meantime season? It's appropriately labeled, isn't it? Because it's meantime. But how we manage the meantime matters. Whether we experience the promise or we forfeit it is all determined by how we manage the meantime. And God has just taught me the way to best manage the meantime is intentional prayer followed by unwavering obedience. That I seek God through this vehicle that he's given me to access him and to talk to him and to listen to him. 
and to follow his direction in my life. And whatever he says, I do it. Even if it doesn't make sense, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's costly, is I intentionally pray and then I seek him and his word is always going to align up with what I'm hearing in my prayers. And whatever he asks me to do, I follow it, I follow it. And if I will pray intentionally and be unwavering in my obedience, I believe deeply I'll experience his promises. But there's more we got to talk about. That's why you're at church tonight. Because there's another thing that I've discovered in this journey, especially over the last year. That when I am unwavering in my obedience, I experience seasons of overwhelming adversity. When I am unwavering in my obedience... I see a still experience overwhelming adversity. If you are going to be unwaveringly obedient to God, you need to know and be ready and expect to walk through seasons of overwhelming adversity. And perhaps this is why we miss the promise is because we don't think it's supposed to be like that. No, pastor, if I'm obedient, it's all supposed to be good and easy. Right? If I'm going to walk this path between promise and payoff, at least I should expect God to remove all the rocks and sticks so I don't trip and fall or twist my ankle. Like it's supposed to be clear and smooth and downhill all the way. But say amen if you know every now and then there's a rock you got to navigate. There's a stick you got to move out of the way. There's a hill you got to climb that wears you out. And perhaps that's why, because see, here's the thing. I think some of us begin to question our obedience when we experience adversity because we have this misunderstanding of who God is. Well, if I'm experiencing adversity, I must be being disobedient because in obedience, I should never be able to experience adversity. Don't look at me like that. We buy that. We believe that. We need to look no further in the Christmas story itself to be reminded that unwavering obedience comes with overwhelming adversity. You don't think it was an adverse moment for Mary to now go to explain what just happened. Joseph, we need to talk. Okay, babe, I can't wait to get married. What's up? Um, just so you know, my dress ain't gonna fit. Why? I'm pregnant. Seriously? By who? God. How do you know this? An angel told me. See, we, we read this Christmas story and we make it all nice and neat and romantic. Away in a manger, no crying he made. He was a baby, it was a barn. There was a lot of crying. And can you imagine, like, we even think of Mary. Can you imagine, like, yeah, we have the story, and she prays this awesome prayer that we're going to look at in a few weeks and all this kind of thing. But now the next thing that she's got to do is in, in obedience to what she has just heard from the Lord, she's got to go explain to her family and her friends and her future husband that she's pregnant in a really miraculous way. And now Joseph, to be obedient, he's got to go through over. And, and the Scripture basically says... The initial reaction to that conversation was not good. I think we just think like Joseph was like, sounds about right. Let's do this. 
But no, it says in his mind, he had already planned to secretly divorce her. So can you imagine what Mary's thinking? An angel shows up, tells me I'm pregnant, and I tell my future husband, and now he's going to divorce me. Thanks a lot, God. You ever had one of those moments? God, I did everything that you asked. I walked every step you told me to step. And now this? Come on, somebody. Testify. And now, and now this? Of course, we know that luckily God intervenes and Joseph has a dream. And it must have been some dream. And the story begins to unfold. But even in, in that story, we're reminded that, that when, if we're going to walk in unwavering obedience to God, there are going to be seasons of overwhelming adversity. And how we deal with the adversity that comes from our obedience will determine whether or not we step into the promise. And if we're honest, we most often get derailed. So that's the question. How, how will you respond when you experience the adversity? Because how you react to the adversity will determine whether or not you keep moving toward the payoff on the promise. Good news is we got the word to kind of help us learn some things. And I want to take you to a passage of scripture that has kind of been my go-to when I'm walking through difficult things. So go with me. If you got a Bible or if you pull it open in the notes app or the app in the notes section, go to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, pick up with verse 1. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1. You ready to hear the word of God say amen? 2 Chronicles 20, verse 1. It says, after this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, with some of the Menunites and the Gigabites. <laughs> Y'all laughed. Some people laughed at that joke three times all weekend. That's good. Came to wage war against Jehoshaphat which he's a king, but that's the worst name in all of Scripture. Verse 2. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already at Hazazon Tamar. So King Jehoshaphat, the king of the nation of Israel at the time, gets word that a vast army is headed his way. In other words, Really intense and overwhelming adversity is on the horizon. And now what he does next is going to make all the difference. Because what we do when adversity is on the horizon will determine whether or not we make it through it. Now let me pause right here. And I don't think I said this all weekend. It's one thing to be able to handle the adversity we see coming. But it's harder to handle the adversity we don't. You ever feel like just stuff just hits you out of nowhere like a tidal wave? So everything I'm about to say may not help as much <laughs> because Jehoshaphat has a, 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 an option that we don't often have. He has the time to get ready a little bit. So can I just say, let's go ahead and apply these principles now, even if you don't see adversity coming, because it's probably on the way. You may not have the warning that Jehoshaphat just got. But let me just, let me just go, let me be your warning. Adversity is coming. You want to follow Jesus? You want to make God priority in your life? You want to make living out the word of God central in your life? Adversity's coming. There's your warning. We good? Okay, let's keep going. Because see, right now, Jehoshaphat has a choice. When adversity comes, what you gonna do? And your first reaction to adversity matters. 
Like the first thing that you do when adversity is on the way is really important. And Jehoshaphat's got some choices. Number one, panic. Sheer panic. Ever, have you ever reacted like that to adversity in your life? Just panic. Just emotional, sitting in the fetal position, sucking your thumb in the closet, panic. Like just break down. Come on. Like just like what you're experiencing is so big and so overwhelming and so seemingly unfixable that all you know to do is just fall apart. Just panic. The problem with panic is we get paralyzed. And if we panic, we get stuck. And let's just refuse to do that. Come on. Panic is not typically my initial reaction. I told you last week, my initial reaction, plan. Plan. Like, that's okay. Well, I'll figure it out. I'll come up with a solution. I can fix this. I can come up, just give me some time to think about it. Like, I'm really smart. And I can fix my way through this. I can plan my way through this. Come on, y'all, don't look at me with that judgment. Y'all are like, I see. Yeah, me, me too. That's me. But here's the problem with that. If it's dependent on your plan, then you'll carry all the pressure, and eventually that pressure will crush you. I don't care how good. The plan may even be really good. The plan might even be the one that could possibly work. But when you think it's all up to you, all dependent on you, your spirit can't handle that pressure. And eventually it will crush you. But you know there's a third option. And I know we in church, it seems really simple. But, but what if our initial reaction to adversity wasn't to panic and wasn't even to plan, but instead to pray? What, why is it that it always seems in my life prayer is my last resort and very rarely my first option? When I've tried everything else, I talk to God. Like, I've got to force myself to remember that I'm dependent on him. I've got to make all the wrong moves, make all the bad decisions, got to make it worse before I try to beg him to make it better. Luckily, Jehoshaphat was a little bit more spiritually mature than I am most days. Because look what he does. Verse 3 says, alarmed. In other words, like, like he wasn't freaked out. It wasn't that he wasn't freaked out. It wasn't that he didn't see the problem. He says, alarmed. Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. Like his first reaction to the news that a vast army was on the way, that adversity was on the horizon, was not to panic, not to plan, but to pray. And not just to pray. It says he resolved to inquire of the Lord and proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. That he prayed and he fasted. Church, we live in a culture that fasting is something that the modern church doesn't even think we should do anymore almost. We've abandoned that discipline. Because see, sometimes I've said intentional prayer is what we need in the meantime, right? But right here, Fasting is not just intentional, it's intense. And sometimes what, what we need in order to overcome the adversity that we're experiencing in our life is not just intense, it's not just intentional prayer, but intense prayer. We don't need to just seek God intentionally, we need to seek Him like intensely. 
And fasting is the way that all of Scripture instructs us to do that. And maybe your solution to the adversity that you're facing is not just to pray, but to fast. You mean I can't eat? Yes. No Bojangles for a month? Maybe. Yeah, to to deny yourself food in order to lean into God so that when your stomach rumbles, it's a reminder to press into God. There's some people that have been in this room all weekend that you might be one fast away from real breakthrough in your life. That you're facing some really difficult and adverse things. Like you're, you're dreading 2020 because it's going to look so different than 2019. And God's saying, you know what? Yeah. You know what you need to do is just lean into me. Not just intentionally, but intensely. Deny yourself food for a while to lean in to me in a deeper way and seek me. There's some people in the room. I could bring them up here of the testimonies of the power of fasting to seek God. But look, that's not all. Look what happens. It says, then verse 4, not only did, Joseph, did Jehoshaphat resolve to inquire of the Lord and proclaim a fast, says, the people of Judah came together to seek from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Now, at first glance, this might, we can just skip right over this. But this means that the king had the courage to let everybody else know that adversity was on the way. See, y'all don't think that's a big deal. That means the king had to look at his people and say, yeah, I know I'm king and I'm the leader and I'm the one you look to and I'm the one that's supposed to have all the answers, but I don't have them. And so I'm praying and I'm fasting and I'm seeking God. And I think it would be best for us if we all did that together. That he didn't allow his pride to stand in the way of his prayer. And so much of the adversity that we faced Yeah, we need to pray, but the problem is we're trying to pray alone. We're trying to fight a battle by ourselves. We're trying to face an army as one. You know, the best way to go up against an army is to build one of your own. This is your army. This is the people of God. And they can't help you pray for things that you have too much pride to share. Our church has gotten really big. It's really easy for 13, 1,400 people just to slide in here and sit in that chair, worship Jesus, then slide right out and never have the courage to get out of that row. And into. We don't do life groups just because y'all need one more thing to do on a weeknight. We, need, we do life groups to help you build an army. To help you build the relationships you need so that when you're suffering and you're going through things that you feel like you can be transparent and you can look at people and say, I'm dealing with something and I can't fix it. I can't work through it. I can't plan my way. I, don't, I have no idea how to handle it and I need your help. And we live in this church world where we gotta keep secrets and I can't tell anybody my business. Well, first of all, can I just let you know I'm afraid, I'm afraid they'll realize how broken I am. Can I let you on a secret? They're just as broken as you are. They're just as messed up and flawed and got just as much baggage. Come on, somebody. Well, I, they, they don't know me because you won't let them. 
Jehoshaphat knew that if he was going to get through the adversity coming his way, yeah, he needed to pray, he needed to fast, but he could not do it alone. And he put down his pride as king of the nation and let other people in. Pick up with verse 5. It says, Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Now listen, we know that Jehoshaphat is not saying all this because God needed to be reminded of his resume. It's not God's up there thinking like, thanks for reminding me, Jehoshaphat. No, see, in prayer, what happens is God got the picture and our understanding and our vision of who God is gets to be corrected. Because in life and in adversity, your life will lie to you about God. Testify somebody, come on. Like your life will lie to you about God because there will be circumstances in your life that tell you God is not good, he is not powerful, he does not care, he is not paying attention, so just give up. And so in, in praying this prayer, Josephat is not reminding God of who he is. In prayer, God reminded Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat of who he is. Because in adversity, an image of him gets diluted and distorted, and it can't be corrected through Netflix. Show can't get corrected through Facebook. Only through getting on your knees and seeking God and diving in. See, the scriptures is the only place you will ever find an accurate portrait of our God. And in this moment, he's praying and God's reminding him of who he is. Verse 7 says, that, Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name. Once again, Jehoshaphat is not reminding God of all he's done. In prayer, we get reminded of who he is and what he's done. And when you can be reminded of what he's done, you can believe in what he can do. That you can believe when you're facing adversity, you can believe he can because you can be reminded that he has. That his resume says he is real, he is good, he is near, he is powerful. And it's out of prayer and through prayer and in prayer that Jehoshaphat gets reminded of who God is and what God has done. Verse 9. If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of, by the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. See, in prayer, he's reminded, like, it really doesn't matter what happens, Lord. Like, if, if, if this doesn't work out, if this army defeats us, it, or if we die by another hand, we will never let our obedience be dictated by the potential outcome. That we're going to follow you wherever you want because we know who you are. And if we die, we die. But we're going to go out being obedient to God because we know that's the only way to live this life. 
Verse 10. But now, hear men from Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of this possession you gave us as an inheritance? Our God, will you not judge them? Jehoshaphat and his people see adversity on the horizon. They don't panic. They don't first plan. Their first resort is to pray and fast and seek God. And now surely in prayer and fasting and seeking God, God would come through with just the perfect plan to work it all out. Right? Look at what happens next. So we prayed and we fasted. And we sought God, and this is what we've realized through prayer and fasting and seeking God. For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We have no idea what to do. You ever been there? That ain't fair, is it? God, I prayed. I fasted. I didn't eat for six days. I sought you. And what did you give me? Nothing. For we have no, what, we've, what we've discovered is, yeah, what's coming at us, we can't beat. What I'm about to face, I can't overcome. The problem that's on the horizon, I don't know how to fix. We do not know what to do. But our eyes are on you. So you need to know this. When you face adversity and you pray and fast, the immediate response from God won't be to fix your problem but instead, maybe just to change your perspective. See, our eyes are not on the army that's coming at us. Our eyes are not on our problem. Our eyes are not on all the things that are wrong. Our eyes are not on all the things we can't fix. Our eyes are not on all the things that we cannot do. Because we learned a long time ago from a really good preacher that said, there's a can and a can't. That there is things we can do and things we can't do. And if we would do what we can, he has promised to do what we can't. So our eyes are on the God of our can't, the God who begins when we end, the God whose power is made perfect in our weakness. Our eyes are on you. That No, no in prayer and fasting, the immediate response from God was not the perfect plan. It was a shift in perspective because that's where it starts. Overcoming adversity and continue to follow the pathway to the payoff on the promise begins with keeping your eyes not focused on your problems, but fixated on your God. So some time passes. And God speaks, not to Jehoshaphat, but to Jehazel. Because see, those people that you surround yourself that are godly people, sometimes they will be used to be the ones to bring you to the answer that God desired for you to know. And Jehazel says this, listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the path, by the pass of Ziz. 
and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. But take up your possessions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. Jesus says, here's what the Lord said. Hey, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. For this battle is not yours, it's God's. You will not have to face it because he's got you. And you know what I'm thinking? Awesome. But then you know what he said? The Lord's got this, but go and take your positions. No, if God's got this, I'm watching it from the house. Like I will stare from the window sitting in my recliner and watch just God rain down and do what he's got to do. Isn't that what we want to do? And that even what we think is our response. If God says, hey, I've got this. But it doesn't seem weird that God says, okay, don't be discouraged. Don't be afraid. But still go take your positions. Do you, imagine, do you understand how much faith that requires? You understand about believing in that God's going to pay off? Because this is one of those situations. If God doesn't pay off on the promise to fight for them and they go take up their positions, they all going to die. You may not have to fight it, but you still have to face it. You may not have to fight it, but you still have to face it. And if you'll have the faith to face it, he will be faithful to fight it. Go take your positions. Trust God. Can you imagine what it, we read that story and we just think, okay, so they got in there and like, oh, I'm scared, man. I'm scared too, man. But remember, like, like Jehazel said, God's got this. Okay. We're going to go together. The faith. Like when you face adversity, you have to face it. Like, like you think, why is God not fighting it? Because you're not facing it. Either you're trying to act like it ain't real, trying to act like it doesn't matter, trying to act like you, you're not worried, like you don't need to pray, like you don't need his help. And God's saying, hey, if you'll face it, I'll fight it. But first, you've got to face it. You face it, and I'll fight it. And then if you keep reading the Bible, what happens next makes no sense. Because Jehoshaphat listens. <laughs> and instead of sending out, like, warriors in the front line, he puts a worship team ahead of the army. Ain't nobody scared of the worship leaders. Skinny jeans, deep V-neck t-shirts, tattoos, weird hair. Nobody's scared of them. Weigh 140 pounds, soaking wet. Nobody's scared of them. What are they going to do, hit them with a flute or something? I don't know. But he says, put them in front. And worship will be their weapon. And they go out singing, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. They're worshiping like they've already won. You know why? Because they had. The battle was won the moment they chose to be obedient. And that kind of obedience 
takes a lot of surrender kind of faith. But you know what I've learned in my life? When, God, when I show up, God shows up. God always matches my show up with his show up. If I do what I can, he always does what I can't. And I've also learned that, like, there, there's this surrender that's involved in that. And there's something that God taught me several years ago that I shared with our church, that when, when I take a posture of surrender is when he puts me in a position of victory. If I will take a posture of surrender, he will put me in a position of victory. If you are going to walk in unwavering obedience, you are going to walk through seasons of overwhelming adversity. And how you handle adversity when on the horizon will make all the difference. Will you panic? Will you plan? Or will you pray? And not just barely pray, not just simple passive prayers. I'm talking about intentionally, intensely with a group of strong believers surrounding you, carrying it with you, lifting up your arms. Will you seek God? Because if you do, he will show up in that adversity. He will do things that you cannot. He will give you the courage to face what you cannot fight and he will fight for you and victory will be on the other side and you will keep stepping towards the payoff on his promise. Somebody give God some praise up in here tonight. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a second. I don't know if you're in here tonight and you see adversity on the horizon or if you're smack dab in the middle of it or maybe you're just on the other side of it and headed toward it again. But this is what I know. Tonight, he wants to shift your perspective. If you'll have the courage to pray, for Lord, I have no power to face this vast army in whatever form it is in your life. I have no power to face this thing that's in front of me, this thing I've got to deal with, this situation I've got. I have no power to deal with it. I have no idea what to do. But tonight, my eyes are on you. And I fight from a perspective of faith, Trusting in who you are, believing of what you can do because of what you have done. And tonight is the night that I walk to the battle line and I face the adversity in front of me, trusting that you are with me and that you are for me and that you're going to show up. You're going to match my show up with a show up of your own. And God, I'm going to fight. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to lay down. I'm not going to abandon the pathway to your promise because I know it's too good. It's too sweet. It's too powerful. And I'm going to keep moving forward. So God, I pray that in this moment that you would well up faith in the lives of your people that courage and strength and power would begin to just move in the spirits of your people. And would you put them in a place where they have the courage to have the posture of surrender so that you might give them a position of victory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. Stay connected with what's happening at Vintage by downloading the Vintage Church app, where you have access to sermon notes, upcoming events, devotionals, previous podcasts, and discover ways to connect in community. You'll also have access to our deeper podcast, which is a conversational deep dive into the message from the weekend. 
We hope you join us again soon.